I'm going to start, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when we last left the, the letter of James, James had ended chapter 1 by saying this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And tonight we're going to see a pretty significant way in which James's audience has become stained by the world in showing partiality. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are gathered here tonight. We thank you for your word and the preaching of your word. And we pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would have sensitive consciences, and that your spirit may be able to whisper to us and for us to understand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, going back to verse 1 then in chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So one way in which James's audience has become stained by the world is by showing partiality, which is favoring one kind of person over another, and basically saying that one kind of person is better and more important than another kind of person in the body of Christ. And the scene that James gives is pretty easy to visualize, I think. You have somebody who's obviously wealthy who comes into the assembly, and you have somebody who's obviously poor who comes into the assembly. And the leaders practically trip over themselves trying to get to the rich person, and they neglect the person and just kind of give a dismissive grunt to the person who's poor. <clears throat> now, why would they do this? And I think this is where it's important to go back to the context of the letter, which we've talked about a couple different times. 
The people that James is writing to are leaders of groups of Christians who are being persecuted by zealous Jewish leaders who have rejected Jesus. And they've been tracking these Christians to different places, arresting them, dragging them into court, and sometimes torturing and even executing them. And so the people that James is writing to have lost their homes, they're on the run, they're terrified for their lives, and they're being pursued. And it's tough going for these folks. And as we read James, I think it's important to keep their perspective in mind. And so on a day when when these Christians are gathered together, someone comes into the assembly wearing fine clothing and a gold ring. Now, what does that tell you? This is somebody obviously with wealth and power and influence, probably a Jewish person. It might be somebody who is antagonistic toward the church, but it might just be a Jewish person who doesn't really care that much either way. But it's somebody who obviously has power and influence. And if you're one of these leaders and you see this person coming in, you might think, hey, maybe we can appeal to this person to like us. Maybe we can treat this person really well and appeal to their better nature, and maybe they will get the authorities to lay off of us. Maybe this person will speak up in our defense, and then maybe the pressure won't be so hot. Let's roll out the red carpet for this guy, and let's give him the best seat of the house. And if you're in their shoes, it might seem like a real godsend that this rich person has come in. Maybe this is somebody that can help you. Now, while you're rolling out the red carpet for this guy, the poor man who comes in also needs a place to sit. Well, you're not going to put this guy next to this rich, powerful person, are you? He might smell bad. He might try to get chummy with this rich person. He might ask for money. He might give a bad impression of your group. Or simply put, he might cause the rich man to leave. And you don't want that. And so you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet so that he doesn't mess things up and give a bad impression. Now, James must have heard reports that this kind of thing was going on in their assemblies. And he says, guys, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And why are you letting this happen? You have become judges with evil thoughts. Because these leaders are acting in ways that say that one kind of person is more important than another kind of person in the body of Christ. And James will have none of it. They're doing this in their gatherings of the followers of Jesus. And it shows that they've been stained by the world's way of thinking and acting. Does that make sense? Can you track with with where it's all going? So James says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember from the last sermon, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We put Jesus's life and teaching into practice. So when we come to this text, I think it's good to ask, did Jesus show partiality? Did Jesus show partiality? You know, Jesus was initiating a kind of revolution. And it started as kind of a grassroots thing, but then it really started to grow, and a lot of people were following him. But if he wanted to get anywhere, surely he needed powerful friends, right? He needed people that can make things happen for him. Yes, he he healed the sick and he preached to the poor, But you couldn't blame him if he was also greasing a few palms to get some fundraisers going so he could get some things going. And how could he have time to bless infants and children 
when there were more important people to meet. Yeah, you know, bring the kids, get them, do the photo op thing, get a couple pictures, but then, you know, move on and have lunch with Joseph of Arimathea because he's rich and he could help you. Jesus didn't do any of that. His friends were 12 men who had common jobs and were uneducated. They were not the creme de la creme. They didn't have money or influence. Jesus refused to curry favor with Herod. In, in the early chapters of Luke, it says that Herod was really interested in Jesus and wanted to see him. Jesus wasn't going to go looking for Herod. He didn't curry favor with the Pharisees or anybody else who had prestige. Luke says there were women who supported Jesus and his disciples out of their means, but they wouldn't have had political clout. It's pretty clear that Jesus didn't show partiality. And how could he have? Because the Mosaic law prohibits partiality, even showing partiality to the poor. You're not even supposed to show partiality to the poor in the Mosaic law. So Leviticus 19.15 says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And that leads up to the famous passage, we all know, Leviticus 19.18, which is, everybody knows their Leviticus 19.18? <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's in Leviticus. The law prohibited showing partiality. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the law in the flesh, the law where it was always going. And so we shouldn't be surprised that he didn't show partiality. And as we follow him, we're not to be stained by the world by showing partiality. Because as James goes on, he shows that showing partiality is no small thing. We might think it's a small thing, but it's not. So continuing on with verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So he says, has not God chosen those who were poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? And hopefully that reminds you of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as Luke puts it in his gospel, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You know, when you're, when you're poor, you're excluded from a lot of things. There are a lot of doors that are not open to you. And Jesus says, if you're poor, but you love God, the doors of the kingdom are thrown wide open for you. Your socioeconomic status doesn't matter. The, the doors of the kingdom of God are thrown wide open. You're fully included in God's kingdom. And through the waters of baptism, you come in on equal footing with everybody else. Everybody who's been baptized is on equal footing with everybody else in the kingdom of God. All the distinctions that the world makes the waters of baptism wash us equally. Amen? So Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And Jesus declares that whatever the world may say about a poor person, in the family of believers, that person is fully included. Absolutely included. So I hope you can see why James is so grieved over how his audience is showing partiality to the rich and neglecting the poor. They're operating according to worldly designs. 
They are not operating according to the designs of the kingdom of God. And instead of being received as a brother in the assembly, the poor man's just being treated the same way that he'd be treated everywhere else. But in the kingdom, it's supposed to be different. And James says, you have dishonored the poor man by doing this. And they have. And, and for what? It's to impress the rich man. But, but James says it's the rich, powerful people who are dragging you into court and throwing you into prison. They're the blasphemers. They're the ones who have rejected Jesus. They're the kind of people who killed Jesus. And you're rolling out the red carpet just because they're the kind of people that you want to impress. And you're dishonoring the poor brother. This is serious sin. And James wants us to know that showing partiality is serious sin. Now you might wonder, sin, is that a little strong? I mean, it's just kind of the way things work in the world. Is it really sin? Well, let's go on. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So, yes, it's sin. James says so. Jesus said the whole law and the prophets can be summed up as love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law, the law of liberty, what it means to live like a king, to be able to rule like a king. And we're called to grow to maturity so that we can rule with Jesus on earth. That's where it's all going. Exercising lordly leadership here and now on earth as in heaven. But we need to be mature to do that. And we can't do that. We can't rule with Jesus if we're showing partiality. If we're saying that one kind of person in the body of Christ is better than another. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So James says that somebody who is faithful to his wife, but murders, should not congratulate himself on extreme holiness. And on, on having really captured what life in God looks like. So if somebody's saying, you know, I'm a good Christian because I'm faithful to my wife. Yes, I've committed a few murders. But when it comes to my marriage vows, I am a straight arrow. I could be a home group leader. James is saying that somebody should not congratulate himself on that. Now, James's audience was probably not confused on this point. Okay, so he's up to something. I don't think James's audience assumed that you could not commit adultery but commit murder and still think that you're really living in the kingdom. But what James is doing is he's reminding them that following Jesus consists of our entire lives. It's fully orbed. It's a whole picture. And to fail in one point of the law makes us accountable for all of it, not because it's a list of do's and don'ts, an arbitrary list, but because the law is a full and complete picture of God's intention for humanity. It's a full and complete picture of God's intention for humanity. And so if you break it at one point, it's like putting a needle into a balloon. You don't just get a little tiny deflated part of the balloon. The whole thing pops. And God doesn't want semi-formed people who are only a little stained by the world. 
He's fully conforming us to the image of his son so that we can be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing and able to co-rule with him. Amen. So James takes the idea that you can be faithful in your marriage, but murder, which we would all say is absurd and ridiculous, and he puts it side by side with the idea that you can show partiality and dishonor the poor brother and still think that you're living in the kingdom of God. And he puts those side by side so that, so that the brothers can see, oh yeah, if I'm showing partiality, it's pretty clear that I have missed the boat. And I think many of us are probably thinking, I never really thought of it that way. I've never really thought of it that way. And if James's audience could speak to us today, they would probably say, we never really thought of it that way either. Because without constant reflection on God's word and a determination to put it into practice, we slowly drift into the world's ways of thinking and acting, and we become stained by the world. Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we are going to be judged. And we are going to be judged by the law of liberty. Earlier in the letter, James had said, The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The law of liberty reveals to us what we are free to do. Jesus has broken the shackles of sin in our life. And now we're free. And we're not free to please ourselves and just do what we want. But we're free to serve others. And we're free to love others. And as we look into the law of liberty, we see that we're free to relate to one another as faithful subjects in God's kingdom. And not according to the distinctions that the world makes. Amen. And James ends here by saying that if we operate according to the ways of the world and are judges with evil thoughts, then that's how God will judge us. If we insist on playing by the world's rules, then those are the rules that God will judge us by. He will judge us according to the standards that we impose on others. The mercy that we've been shown by God and all of us who are followers of Jesus, who are baptized believers, we have received great mercy from God. And God's mercy has triumphed over the judgments of the world. And the world may designate you a loser, a nobody, worthless, and unworthy of love, but Jesus calls you as brother and sister and friend. And we call each other brother and sister and friend. There are to be no distinctions. The mercy that God's shown us in Jesus has triumphed over the judgments of the world. Amen? So just a couple of thoughts by way of application for this. A couple of months ago, when I started James, I said that reading James is a lot like stepping on a Lego. Preaching James is like swallowing one. And if I'm going to deliver the word to you faithfully, I have to let it cut me up first. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so if I'm going to deliver the word, I have to let it cut me up first. I have to let the, the sword find the vulnerable places in my flesh And let it pierce me exactly where I need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as I was studying this text and preparing the sermon, I kept thinking of how naturally and easily I make distinctions and show partiality. And I thought of particular times when I've done so, but also 
you know, maybe just trying to get introduced to this person or trying to get lunch with this person and keeping this person at arm's length, maybe. So thinking of particular instances, but also just recognizing it's a tendency that lies within my flesh, the body of sin, as Paul calls it, and that given the right circumstance, that can be activated and jump to life. And I think we all need to search our hearts on this one. We all need to submit ourselves to God so that he can reveal how we might put our brothers and sisters into different buckets and relate to them that way. Because judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and we need mercy. So let me give a very practical example, just adapting the text. Let's say you've been gone from church for three months, and you come back, and you hear that two different families have joined the church. And so on your first Friday back, both families happen to come in at the same time. One family is dressed in their best church clothes. The parents are well-groomed, smiling, and friendly. The kids are well-behaved. We might know them from other circles that we run in. The mom and the dad and the other family are wearing dirty hoodies and pajama bottoms. And they look harried and distressed and malnourished. And the kids are climbing over each other in the pews. Now let me ask you, after the beating ends, who are you making a beeline toward to invite to home group and dinner? And you can go ahead and be honest, because God already knows. But if I'm operating out of my flesh, I know exactly who I'm walking over to. I'm walking over to the family who won't require very much to understand and to relate to. If I'm operating out of my flesh, I'm walking over to the family who's more likely to give than to need to receive. Simply put, in my flesh, I'm walking over to the family who causes the fewest complications to my life as it already is. And someone else will deal with the other family. Someone with more expertise, more mercy gifts, more connection to resources, more capacity of heart. And God says, well, Kelly, then you've become a judge with evil thoughts. And I say, Lord, have mercy. But that's me in my flesh. And thankfully, I'm under no obligation to live according to the flesh. And you're under no obligation to live according to the flesh. Jesus is freed from that. We've been free to live according to the Spirit. And when I'm receiving the prompts of the Spirit and yielding myself to obey, I, move, I begin to move in the directions that are unnatural for me to move in. And the next time it becomes a little bit more natural and the friction isn't quite so strong, until I hope my reflexes in time will be such that I show no partiality and can love equally. That's the vision of God for my life and for all of our lives. So how can we repent of the sin of showing partiality? Well, I wouldn't suggest immediately after the meeting going over to somebody and confessing that you've been neglecting them and ignoring them. I don't think that's going to make anybody feel good. I don't think that's going to help. So I wouldn't do that. Instead, because James is more or less kind of giving the negative take on this, I would appeal to Romans 12.10, where Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. How do we repent? We love one another with brotherly affection, and we outdo one another in showing honor. And I love the word outdo. It has a real competitive aspect, and I think we're all kind of competitive people down at some level. And so if we're internally competing at showing honor with one another across the whole body, 
everybody will be included the way everybody is supposed to be included, and nobody will be left out. And the king will be honored in his church, and we will become the kind of people who can rule with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.